Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to introduce you to an old friend and today's sponsor, Justin Most. He's an expert EOS implementer, a certified speaker for the John Maxwell team, and a passionate coach committed to glorifying God by helping business owners get everything they want from their business. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. My guest for today is Dr. Sharon May, and she is the founder and president of Safe Haven Relationship Counseling Center. We're going to learn more about her expertise, what attachment is, and how it affects us in every season, from childhood to the rest of our lives. And here's a little fun fact about Dr. Sharon May. Her two sisters, Dr. Katherine Weber and Dr. Sylvia Freed, have been previous and popular guests on The Savvy Sauce. Their family has really pioneered the integration of theology and psychology. So I hope that you also enjoy hearing all the scripture she shares and the fascinating ways brain science has affirmed these truths. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Dr. May. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to get to host you. And will you just tell us a bit more about yourself and what your journey has looked like to becoming the founder and president of Safe Haven Relationship? Yes, well, I am married and have four sons and four daughter-in-laws and four grandbabies. (laughs) And um, I just love my work with couples. And, you know, I started oh my goodness, over 20 years ago, I remember the first couple I had in graduate school, I was so excited to work with couples. I'd always had a fascination for what made people fall in love and stay in love and break up or be unhappy and so excited to work with couples. And I remember my first couple in graduate school, they were arguing over who did the dishes and who took the trash out. And I thought, well, we'll just take out a chart And we'll just put down a list of who does what chores and the problem would be solved. The only thing is that a week later, they said, you taught us communication skills, how to say, you know, I feel and the listener technique. And now we just know how to argue better. And actually, Laura, the truth is they fired me. And I was so distraught. Yeah, I had such a passion for working with couples and helping people love well. And it was a colleague of mine that said, have you ever looked at relationships through the lens of attachment theory? And he's the one that introduced me to a model called emotionally focused therapy. And it transformed the way I saw why people fall in love. What are they really wanting in a relationship? And what is at the heart of most of and all of our arguments. And it started me on a journey of being a marriage and family therapist with couples. That is incredible. And attachment is such a large part of emotionally focused therapy. Will you define what attachment is and maybe share the different types that we might all relate to? 
Yes. So in the marriage and family field, we came to realize that we're all longing to be emotionally connected and attached to those we love. And when we choose to marry someone, we are longing to have what we call the safe haven with our spouse. That depending on the types of experiences around being loved and cared for growing up, uh, those early experiences are internalized and they create for us a lens through which we then view other relationships and also a template for how we view the way we could or, or shouldn't attach in a relationship. And so we develop these attachment styles, ways of loving and being in relationship. And Laura, there are about four attachment styles. One is secure. I know you'll love me. I know I can get the love I need. And I know you'll be there if I come and share a complaint or reach for you. Uh, the other is more avoidant. I don't believe you're going to be there for me. Actually, I think you're going to reject me. And so it's better than to be guarded and protected. Just sort of put that M&M coating over my heart so that I, if I don't really need you, then I won't be wounded. And the other is more anxious. The anxious person is a little bit more preoccupied with, do you love me? Did I say that right? Did I do that right? I don't think you're going to give me the love I need, so I need to try harder or ask or be good or earn the love that I so much want from you. And then the last one is called fearful. And these people have a paradox. Uh, growing up, they've realized that the very person they're going to for comfort and love and care is the very person who has wounded them. So they, I want you, but now I fear you will hurt me. Oh, you say you love me, but I will do something to stop it. You will get mad at me and disappointed in me. And then the love that I need from you, you will withhold. And those people usually came from neglectful or abusive homes. And now the lens through which they view other relationships is at the end of the day, you just might hurt me. And Laura, we all bring these attachment styles, these lenses, these ways of being into our marriage relationship. And it has a big impact on what we anticipate or expect uh, in our marriage relationship. Well, I appreciate your knowledge and integration of both theology and psychology. So when we talk about all of this attachment theory, what has God revealed to you about psychology and specifically attachment through his word? Oh, Laura, we were created to be in relationship. For God so loved the world. You know, Psalm 92, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shed of the Almighty. I'll say, you my God, you're my safe place. God says, I want to have a relationship with you for you to be connected to me. But I haven't created you to be alone and isolated. God has created us to be in relationship with other people. And the greatest commandment is to not only be in relationship with God, because then things are well with our soul, 
when we are connected to God. But he created us to love others, to be in relationship with others. And I think our whole life, every area of our life is impacted by the quality of our relationships. I would completely agree. And so it sounds like you're saying this really is formative in our early years of development. And would you say the primary way we attach is through our primary caregivers? Oh, absolutely. Our those early moms and dads and grandmas and aunts and, and teachers and babysitters, those early relationships teach us that, oh, what a cute little girl you are. You're such, I just love you. You are going to be someone wonderful and come here. Oh, let me look at you or stop it. I'll give you something to cry about. You naughty little girl. You bug me. You irritate me. Those are internalized and those relationships when we are babies and growing up teach us about ourselves and the world around us. Absolutely. Okay, I feel like I'm having a bit of an aha moment right now. So as a mother, right now, as we're getting this opportunity to record, our two of our children are school-aged, but our other children are at home. And so our daughters right now are with a babysitter while we're getting to record. And knowing a bit about attachment, I've always wondered, am I making it more difficult for them to securely attach with me if I have periods of time where I'm working and someone else is caring for them, even though they adore their babysitters? But you're saying they can even securely attach beyond. It's not just the responsibility of the parents, but there's other relationships that will also aid this secure attachment. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, Lauren, you, you're right on that our mom and dad are home base. That is our harbor we come home to. And at the end of the day, or after school or in the morning when we wake up or on the weekends, it's like mama, dada. You know, we're family, and this is my home. But a securely attached child has the internal security and courage and confidence to venture out into the world. Look what I can do. I can explore friendships and, oh, my babysitter reads me the, the story, and she lets me choose which color cup I want, and she tells me, that I look beautiful in this dress. And she tells me, I can look how high you're jumping. And no, you can do that. And she she teaches me how to draw cats and plays handball with me. And those babysitters and teachers and coaches and aunts and people in our community pour into our child and reflect back to our child love and adventure and courage and security. And so it is important to allow our children to grow up in community uh, with others who are going to care for them. Wow, thank you. I feel like that offers so much freedom for any of the parents listening. And so we've talked about some scripture, but also what does brain research show you about these beliefs for attachment? 
Oh, absolutely. Well, we're talking about children. So research shows that children who are securely attached, when they're put in a stressful situation at school, like the alarm's going off, uh, and then they're rushed out onto the playground and then brought back into the school uh, classroom, children with a securely attached um, attachment style uh, are more resilient. They bounce back. They can go back to the task at hand and concentrate and have the courage to ask for help and the confidence to try uh, the problems where insecure or fearful or avoidant children aren't so resilient when it comes to stress. And our brains develop better when we are in a safe, secure environment, when we live in a stressful environment where home becomes a source of stress rather than a safe haven. Um, actually, our hippocampus shrinks and the hippocampus is needed to distill and sort through and move things from short to long memory. And so children have more difficulties uh, learning and at school. And research shows, and I love this one, when they give an electric shock to a woman <laughs> and then she anticipates the electric shock, if her husband, whom she perceives as a safe haven, is holding her hand during the stressful experiment, she does better. She doesn't see the electric shock being so uh, painful if she has the comfort and care of a husband uh, versus if just a stranger is holding her hand. So research lets us know that these relationships are so important to our development and our well-being and our longevity. Research shows that what predicts whether we're dead or alive seven years from now it's not our health, but rather do we have a safe haven, a secure attachment, a friendship in our life? And so our relationships are vitally important to our development and our well-being and our longevity in life. That's incredible to hear it played out for children and for adults. And now if we do kind of zero in on adults, what areas of life does attachment affect in their lives? Yes, adults, if we don't have a safe haven, loneliness really does kill us. Loneliness is a very stressful experience. Loneliness triggers the amygdala, which is a part of the brain that's always scanning the horizon for danger. And being alone and lonely is dangerous to our well-being because we are wired, we are created to be loved and cared for and in relationship. We will pass up really some of the basic human needs just to have that connection with another human being. And so when we are in stressful relationships, stressful marriages, stressful work situations, our amygdala is hijacked with a stress response. Cortisol and other stress hormones are running through our blood system. And the byproduct of these stress hormones is plaque in our blood vessels. And these stressful hormones literally give us heartache. And so we really, as adults, need to evaluate 
How stressful are my relationships at work? How stressful are my family relationships? How stressful is my marriage? And really choose to start a journey of healing those relationships and putting ourselves in the pathway where we can meet other people to develop some sweet, good relationships. And you know, Laura, we don't need like 20 friends. Research shows that three friends really does add greatly to our lives. Wow. I think that's so sobering. Even that line that loneliness will kill us and thinking of the past couple of years in the pandemic and how much isolation has occurred. I think this is such a timely reminder and motivator to pursue friendship. And it makes me wonder, let's think about someone who didn't securely attach as a child. Is it ever too late for that person who did not attach well to their primary caregiver to then have thriving relationships? That's such a good question, Laura. That's That really is. And, you know, we've been created for change, that our brains have what is called plasticity. It means we can grow and learn, lay down new neural pathways. We have the capacity to be our best selves and to be on this growing journey. And so, no, it is reversible that as soon as we are in healthy relationships, as soon as we find a friend whom we can share, how difficult it is to raise this child or to be in a difficult marriage or to have in-laws that are terribly painful and hurtful. As soon as we have and develop a community where we can be seen and heard and understood and empathized with and knowing. It's like water to a dry sponge. It restores, refreshes, and it is possible to heal a broken marriage, to find some kind of a good enough connection with family and friends whom we have had hurtful experiences with. And that is the greatest command to not only be in relationship with the Lord, but to be in relationship with others. And we should be intentional about that. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Thank you to my friend and sponsor, Justin Moss, for making this episode possible. As an expert EOS implementer, Justin has provided over 500 full-day sessions helping business owners implement EOS into their business. EOS is the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which is a complete set of simple and practical tools to help entrepreneurs get what they want from their businesses. Justin helps business owners and leadership teams achieve three things, vision, traction, and health. For vision, that's simply helping you get everyone in the organization 100% on the same page with where they're going and how they plan to get there. For traction, That's helping to instill focus, discipline, and accountability throughout the company so that everyone executes on that vision every day. When we think of healthy organizations, let's be honest, there's often a fair amount of dysfunction with teams. But Justin loves helping leaders create a more cohesive, functional, and healthy leadership team. And once the leaders are healthy, 
they help the whole team become healthy. Mark and I have been friends with Justin and his wife, Jenny, for years. We've witnessed them apply these practices to their own life and their family and their business, and the results are transformational. With Justin's love for Jesus and passion to serve business owners to be better stewards of their businesses, I highly recommend you learn more about his services at his website, justinmost.com. That's justinmaust.com. Thanks for your sponsorship. Could you share a few ways that you do help your clients begin to recognize their own attachment style with their parents? and then currently with their spouse or with their children? Yes. So I am a marriage and family therapist, and we offer intensives where couples and individuals and even families will come for about three or four days. And each day and all day, we work on helping individuals and couples and families really understand themselves We have to understand the lens through which we do view ourselves and the world around us. And we do help uh, individuals and couples take a look at their family of origin, their growing up years, and also just the story of their life. How have other people in their lives um, hurt them, wounded them? And what are the ways that they have learned to guard and protect themselves or to fight for themselves or to just give in? And it's these interactional patterns that often have created the difficulties or the issues for people in life. And so it is a a wonderful discovery journey of people awakening to, wow, now I know I'm an avoider. I don't want to discuss the arguments or the difficult topics. And I'm really scared to be honest and open and share what I'm feeling. And I'm afraid of this conflict. And so I I do that in my marriage and at work or with my children. I don't face the issues. I withdraw. I shut down. I sweep things under the carpet. And I can see the chaos it's created in my life. I see how I've put up with things or I've made bad decisions or I can't get unstuck. And people have these eye-opening ahas that allows them then to make different choices of loving well and being uh, in relationships. I think that's such a hope-filled message, Dr. May. And one benefit of hearing a podcast like this is then being inspired to become proactive in our relationships. So let's double click on marriage. And how can we strengthen our emotional attachment with our spouse? Yes. So I will share with you, I think, a key secret. (laughs) And that is... Our spouse wants to be seen, heard, loved, and cared for just like we do. Our spouse is longing for a safe haven uh, just like we do. And when we argue, we're usually arguing about topics like who took the trash out, you didn't shut the door, you finished the milk. Uh, And we usually stay arguing about the topics. But 
we are not always arguing about the topics. We're usually arguing about the meaning and the attachment meaning around those topics. So you didn't take the trash out, takes on a meaning of I'm alone, no one's there for me, I have to do everything myself. And that meaning, oftentimes we have a theme that runs through <laughs> Uh, all the events in our marriage or our friendships. And when we can start identifying that theme, I call those our dragons. When we can identify our dragons, we can then go, wow, I have a dragon of not being seen or heard or not valued or controlled or never belonging. And then the events take on that meaning. And our spouse has a dragon and a meaning that they put on events. And as a couple, if we can start identifying our own dragon and our spouse's dragon, and we realize that we each want to just be affirmed. No, I do love you. I do value you. You are important to me. I do want to hear what you have to say. Your perspective is important to me. That when we realize my spouse wants that just as much as I want that. Can help us have a different view of our marriage. Does that make sense, Laura? Yes, definitely. And I think even further along those same lines of being proactive, what are some foundational building blocks then that we can use in marriage to move toward avoiding those dragons or I guess maybe healthily moving forward? Well, yes. And so when you find yourself saying, oh, you know, you didn't take the trash out. I knew it. I am not a priority. You don't really value me. I am on my own. And then your spouse is saying, what? I just forgot to take the trash out because I was playing my video game. And or I just procrastinated. Or, um, you know, I was too busy playing with the kiddos. And when you hear yourself repeating your dragon, it is being able to go to your spouse. Or if you hear your spouse repeating their dragon, you know, I'm just never good enough. I will always fall short. I'm never going to meet your expectations. It is being able to go to our spouse and comforting that dragon. It is being able to go to our spouse and saying, you know, I didn't take the trash out, you're right, I got distracted, I procrastinated, I got stuck then playing with the kids, and I know when I don't take the trash out, what it means to you is that you are not important to me and that I'm expecting you to do everything. You know, I'm really sorry for that. And that's actually not what I mean. But I get that that's your dragon, and I'm really sorry. The powerful tool of being able to step into the chaos and comfort our spouse is huge. It disarms, it calms, it lets our spouse know you do get me, you're taking responsibility for what you did, and you are there for me. You're my safe haven. That sounds like some tools that I've heard you teach on before. I think you're modeling empathy there. 
But I've also heard you speak on increasing trust and availability and empathy and responsiveness in marriage. So could you elaborate on any of those? Absolutely. You know, for us to put our heart and our vulnerability and our dragon into our spouse's hand and to be vulnerable, we really need to trust our spouse. And not only trust our spouse to be dependable, but also trust our spouse to be emotionally there for us and to be able to trust our spouse with our heart. And when that heart trust is lost, that says at the end of the day, I just don't know if you have my best interest in mind. I don't know if I can trust you with me. When a wife loses that trust, the marriage is in a very dangerous place. It takes a lot for a wife to trust her husband again with her heart. And so, yes, it's building trust. I care for you. I want to be there for you. And you can trust me with what you feel, with your perspective, and building that trust. And really, I always say every Sunday, just ask yourself, how trustworthy am I? Does my spouse trust me with their heart? And what can I do to change that? And the next is being emotionally available and emotionally responsive. You've got to show up physically and you've got to then be there emotionally. You know, sit with your wife as she's cooking or sit with your husband as he's doing the dishes and be present. How was your day? Tell me more. And whoa, really? Huh? Not giving advice or criticizing. Well, I told you not to say that to your coworker. You, you knew that would upset her. But just listening and emotionally being available. That's being a friend. That's being a companion. That's showing up. And then responding. If we respond critically and harshly, it is going to trigger in our spouse criticism and harshness. That if we can respond in a way that I take you and I weigh it with me and I respond with kindness. John Gottman's research shows that when we respond with a harsh voice, an elevated tone of voice, it is going to trigger in our spouse the stress response. And they're going to be defensive and have a heightened response back. So just always just take a deep breath (laughs) and watch your tone of voice and your choice of words and to respond kindly uh, to our spouse. That is so helpful. And really, I think something that we can easily apply once we're reminded of this truth, because I think sometimes when couples get caught up in the stress of everyday life, these things could go where they're not... Maybe they're too consumed with the to-do list or they're raising young children and there's a lot that does have to be done. But that importance of prioritizing companionship just by simply being emotionally available, I think that's an incredible reminder. Oh, absolutely. And you know, Laura, we feel somehow that because it's my husband or because it's my wife, because it's my family, I can just let my hair down and just let my emotions, you know, come on out and I should be able to be comfortable to say what I want and how I want it and just sort of be at home. But that's not what we're called to be. 
that's not our best selves. And our spouse and our family deserves, yes, for us to be genuine, but also deserves us to be have our best manners and our smiles and our best tone of voice. And that's not being fake. That's being the best person we can be, is to give the best of ourselves to our family. There is an exciting project taking place behind the scenes right now, and I would love to invite you to participate. I will give you more details as I'm able, but for now, here's my request. Will you email me your personal story of a specific way God has clearly shown up in your life? Big or small, I want to hear an account of the way He made Himself known to you and maybe received credit for an answered prayer, or a way He worked out a situation in a miraculous way, or how He displayed His power in your life. There's no limit to the type of story to submit, as long as it's true. So please email me your story at this email address, info at thesavvysauce.com. I can't wait to read your story. Thanks for sharing. What are some other marital enrichment exercises or lessons that you teach and model in order to help these couples enrich their marriage and experience a safe haven? You know, one of the main things is the art of listening. Laura, you know, we in our day and age today, we are so problem solvers. You know, we've got a task and husbands and wives with young kids are more administrators or it's like running a daycare center. They want to get to the business of things and they're always solving problems. But the art of listening without solving is an art of showing I'm here for you and I care. And I have this problem, you know, when my husband or one of my friends or my kids are just telling me about a difficulty. I want to come on in and give my expertise and solve it, but that misses the point. We need to just be heard and understood. That lets us know we are loved and cared for and we can just come home. And for couples to learn the art of listening, I just want to hear your story. I'm just going to show on my face. I'm listening. I'm nodding. I'm going, uh-huh, what happened next? Tell me more. And only after our spouse has sort of shared everything do we then ask, would you like me to comment on that? Or would you like me to give you any input? And I have couples come sitting in the room. I shared this with you. Yes, and I told you what to do. And I was just giving you advice or what am I supposed to do? Just listen when I see clearly what you should do to solve that? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes, it's the art of being there, of being friends and companions and just the sweetness of just sitting together uh, I always say sitting on the front porch swing, just listening and being there for each other is very powerful. Well, let's take it one step further and get even more specific now. How do you encourage marriages in these five areas that people often ask about? And I'll list them off and then we can kind of go through each one. But some of those top questions come around communication, conflict resolution, sexual intimacy in-laws, and finances. 
So (laughs) if we begin with communication, what wisdom can you share? Yes. Well, actually, I would like to share, to start with sexual intimacy. You know, the ways of connecting where our brains, our hearts and our beings can connect, touch, touch triggers oxytocin, as you know, is the bonding hormone. I'm sitting with you. We're here together. We're holding hands. We're snuggling on the couch. I call that sexual intimacy with a couple. Whatever you would not do uh, with a friend that you're doing with your spouse is sexual intimacy. Touching, holding, showing you care is really building uh, this bond between the two of you. And it's increasing trust. It's lowering your guard. And to find snuggle time. And lying on the bed in a snuggly blanket where the two of you can can snuggle and caress and talk and share. And maybe it moves into intercourse or not. But rubbing each other's feet, having yummy candles on where you are having these experiences that bond the two of you. Setting aside children and setting aside the difficulties in finances or even the in-laws or who did what chore, carving out a little lily pad of intimacy, going out on a date, bringing each other a little flowers or a little gift, uh, rubbing each other's shoulders, uh, winking at each other, flirting with each other. These are all ways that build this attachment bond. And Laura, I always say we need to bookend all our arguments because as couples, we're going to be different. Uh, Some couples say to me, well, if we're so different, you know, maybe we shouldn't be married. No, no. We are two different human beings with probably different personalities, different likes, different ways of doing things. And so we'll always have that conflict. But how do we bookend all those arguments with very sweet connecting times? And so I circle and underline and double click (laughs) on sexual intimacy as a way of bonding and connecting. Does that make sense? Yes. And I say amen to that. That is the special piece in marriage that we don't have access to anywhere else in life that's the only person that you can experience the lord in that way even and that deep knowing of one another so i love that you started there absolutely and then we go to communication and really if you just think of my spouse wants to be heard and understood i may not agree but my spouse just wants to be heard and understood just like i do so how can i listen so that my my spouse feels understood. Because as Dan Wiley says, I can't hear you until you hear me. And we are fighting to be heard first. And you actually win if you listen and understand your spouse first. Then your spouse will be willing to hear you. Now, you might say, well, why do I, you know, have to do that? My spouse should hear me first. I'm always the one that hears them first. Okay, marriage is give and take. And if that's your part, first understanding your spouse so that they then can hear you, then do your part. But communication is 
how much do you feel heard and understood? And it's okay to say, I don't agree with this, but I hear what you're saying. I get it. And I also say that we should probably communicate, talk with each other with three by five cards. First, write out what you really want your spouse to understand. And so you're coming, not just spouting emotionally, not just giving all examples of how bad your spouse has been in the past. And now you're just grousing at your spouse and, and then you're getting emotionally ratcheted up. But just to be able to say, you know, it's really important that the trash gets taken out on Monday night because the trash comes Tuesday. And when it doesn't, it stays another week. And the trash then builds up and smells, and then the rats get into it. I'm giving facts and information, and I'm telling you what I would like for you to understand. And so be clear and kind. Because our arguments, the conflict, flows out of lack of good communication. Because then the conflict comes from defending myself. Well, I usually take the trash out. You're just being too critical. We defend and then, well, you don't do this and that. And now we're defending, we're blaming. And conflict comes out of a lack of clear communication. And then also, you know, we talk about the in-laws and finances, it is also communicating what I really need you to understand about your parents is that when they just show up unannounced, I'm surprised. It puts the kids out of routine. Could you please tell them? And then allow your spouse to say, well, you know, I'm afraid. This feels conflictual saying this to my parents. And we don't do conflict well in my family. I feel I'm going to hurt my parents' feelings and then they'll withdraw and then they just cut me off. And to go back and really talk about those deeper dragons uh, with our spouse around those issues and we can have more empathy for each other rather than if you loved me, you would just stand up to your parents no, it's, gosh, I really understand why it is difficult for you to stand up to your parents. And here, let's work through those issues together. And then finances. You know, finances are around security. Finances are around trust. We all have a deeper dragon around finances. We have to talk with our spouse about the meaning finances have for us. I want a savings because growing up, uh, mom and dad lived, you know, from paycheck to paycheck and the fear and the unknown. And sometimes our lights got switched off. And then I couldn't play soccer because my parents couldn't afford the fee because my mom would just go buy expensive handbags. And there's dragons and deeper issues around finances. Um, or my family never had. And so I want the TV and I don't mind paying it off because I just always went without. And being able to truly understand each other's dragons around finances and the meaning finances have for us, it's security. 
it allows me to know I can trust you, that you work together as a team, saving and adding to the family finances. And then I highly recommend a couple just going to a financial advisor and living by a system. And there's some great financial systems out there that have a philosophy about finances. You know, you put six months savings and then you pay off this first and then you save for that so that you're both on the same page, uh, not tug of war, but moving forward together as an us. You've done such an incredible job of taking all of those a level deeper and then even revealing how they're all intertwined. You teach this so well, how we can turn these arguments into meaningful conversations. So thank you for sharing that. Yes. And, you know, I must say, Laura, in theory, we understand the concept. But when our amygdala is hijacked and we're in the moment, it is really difficult to remember these. But if we can just remember, my spouse wants to be loved just like I do. My spouse wants to be heard and understood just like I do. It can slow us down and help us to hold our spouse's heart instead of seeing our spouse as the enemy. But we all need these reminders, daily reminders, <laughs> to love well. That's a great word of caution for actually applying this and what it may look like and what we can expect. But now I'm also thinking as a parent, because I do desire for our children to securely attach with my husband, Mark, and with me. So what would you say we could be doing now or any parents who are raising children could be doing now to both enhance and harm that likelihood? Mm, that is such a good question. And I remember lying in bed at night when I was raising my boys saying, oh, Lord, you know, I was too harsh. And did I hug my kids enough? And did I smile at them enough? And did I discipline them? you know, in the right ways. And uh, we can worry about our children. And I think that worry is healthy because it does help us stay very much attuned to wanting to grow and be a better parent. But when that worry sinks us into our own dragons, then we really need some help and getting some professional help because often we can parent out of our dragons. And that's where we harm our kids. You know, my parents were never there and I was maybe abused or, you know, neglected. And so now I'm overprotective or, you know, I have freedom. I could do what I want. So I'm going to let my children just have tons of freedom. But we need to be careful not to parent out of our dragons, out of our fears, out of how we were or weren't protected or what we wish we had. We really need to parent in the best interest of our child's temperament and where our child is growing. Uh, maybe you grew up in a ghetto, but your children are not today. So they don't need the same warnings and frightens and scares that you needed. So being aware of that. And then secondly, you know, to foster a secure attachment bond with a child. You know, children need to know that they have a safe haven no matter what. I love you, care for you, 
no matter what. And that there's good boundaries that are predictable and fair. The rules of the house are based on our values and our beliefs and what's important to us. Rules are clear and they're not just ridiculous. They're not just at mom and dad's whim because of their mood, but that no, you are not going to hit your brother because our family believes that we are gifts to each other and we're going to be grateful for the friendship that we have in our siblings. Therefore, you're not going to hit your brother. And the consequence, how I'm going to teach you this value when you hit your brother or you hit your sister, the consequence to teach you this principle is this, and it's clear, and the punishment matches the crime, and that there is a way of resolution. We can come back and talk about it. Why did you hit your sister? Oh, you were frustrated. Okay. Now, how could you share your frustration another way? How can I teach you and shape you and mold you? Because we're really raising adults. We're trying to raise these children so that they can have instilled in them values and beliefs and character so that they can grow up to be responsible adults. And a lot of parenting, I think we do on the fly. Stop it. I've had enough of that. Please go to bed. I'm desperate. Eat your food. Eat your food. And we always say, oftentimes we parents out of our amygdala hijacking. I'm stressed. I'm overloaded. I've had enough. <laughs> Rather trying to parent out of intentionality. That intentionality of shaping your character helps foster that safe haven. But also, Laura, if I could add, you know, things that create an atmosphere of home family night. Everyone in your jammies, jump on the couch. Uh, we get the popcorn and the blanket. Family conversations. Well, now let's all get together and let's talk about, you know, getting to bed has been a crazy time. How can we do this better as a family? Family dinners. Research shows that families that have family dinners together are much more healthier and secure and resilient. Family events. We're all bike ride, we play games, we explore for bugs, we garden together. Those things create a safe haven home. Oh, I love that. That's kind of a both and that both we've got these sweet relationship building moments and these rhythms in our schedule. And it's different from the safe haven that we're creating in marriage because with children, there is that element of discipline and consequences. And I guess it kind of boils down what I'm hearing you say is just being very engaged. Yes, that's a very good word. Being emotionally attuned to your children, available to your children, but also having boundaries and rules. And it is both. It's loving kindness with the boundaries and the rules. And it becomes then predictable for children. I know I'm really loved. And if I get into trouble, I can work it out with mom and dad. But mom and dad are strict. We help each other in a family. We're not ugly. Uh, we don't lie. We help out. We know the rules. But there's incredible loving kindness. That's a good word. 
And do you have any final encouragement for spouses or parents who are listening in today? Yes, you can always change course. Your children are longing to be loved and nurtured and parented by you. And whenever you change course, you're going to change the trajectory of your family. Even if your kids are 18 or 18 months, you can choose today. I want to raise my children differently. And the same as our spouse. Forgiveness covers a multitude of sin. Being able to, and a multitude of wounds and hurts, being able to go to your spouse saying, I'm so sorry. You know, I withdraw, I get angry. I've been living out of my dragons. I see how I am fearful or anxious or I'm avoidant. I want to love you differently. I want a safe haven marriage. I want to change what we're doing. Now, at first, our spouse might say, oh, can I trust you? Is this for real? But of course, our spouse wants that. And so do we. And so do our children. You know, going to your 16-year-old saying, you know, I just yell far too much. I'm so reactive because I don't know how to get you to do your homework. Can we sit down and really talk about this? And I'm really sorry. I, I'm not helping you, but help me help you um, succeed. That is so healing for all of us to hear and for us to say. That is very encouraging and Clearly, Dr. May, you're such a trustworthy guide on this. So is there a place you can point us online to find out more about your offerings? Oh, absolutely. If you go to safehavenrelationshipcenter.com, that's safehavenrelationshipcenter.com, you can find out about our intensives and also the new resources we will be offering this summer for couples as well as parents. Wonderful. We will link to all of that in the show notes for today's episode. And you may already be aware we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? <laughs> I love that. Well, I have one sentence. As far as it depends on you, Try to love well, be authentic, but be kind, and try and get along. That is good, as far as it depends on you. I love it. Yes. Dr. May, you are clearly so gentle and so knowledgeable on this topic, and I just think your years of work are a true benefit to all of these ears and hearts that it's going to land on today. So, Thank you for being faithful in your own walk with Jesus, and thank you for being my guest today. Oh, it's been a joy to be with you, Laura, and I know you're bringing such wonderful information and encouragement to your listeners. So blessings to you and all of your work. Goodness, thank you. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. 
This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.